Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This one's a doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. And we talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. Yes. Yes. Yep. It's true. That's right. <laughs> You're just struggling <laughs> over there already. There's been a foible or two tonight. Yeah. Just leading up to the recording. Yes. That's been fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Honestly, yeah. It has been fun. I'm having a great time. But we're here. And we're ready. We are. So... Well, Patreon episode nine. Can, yeah. you, can you believe that we've already done nine exclusive Patreon episodes? I feel like it was not that long ago that I said something like, I'll feel really good when we hit 10. Mm-hmm. Like that'll feel like a huge accomplishment. Right. And we're almost there. I know. That's crazy. Just a couple short weeks away from hitting that. Yeah. And we'll also be doing episode 70 of the regularly mm-hmm. scheduled programming this week. That's crazy. I know. That's wild. We're going to blink a few times and hit 100. Yeah. It's crazy. Oof. Blowing my mind. Well, before we get too far in, we need to let the world know. What are you drinking? I'm trying to contain myself, and so I'm having another one of those little sugar-free cherry limeade shaker things that you put in water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just keeping it easy. Just keep it chill. Yeah. It's summertime, so we're both kind of like easing up on the sugar and- yeah. Leaning into hydration. I'm drinking these uh, Pomplamoose flavored LaCroix. Oh, yeah. Is that how you say it? I've I never known. So. I've always I just know. said that one. I think it's Pomplamoose because there's a band called Pomplamoose that. Okay. And I, I think it's a French word, but I don't remember what it's for. The more you know. I know. Isn't that fun? Is it like Pomelo or something like that? Maybe they're related. I don't know. But don't that know. sounds very refreshing. Yeah. Also, I guess I could be saying it wrong and I just wouldn't know until now. So. Someone, dear <laughs> listeners, dear listeners, if I'm saying pomplamoose and I sound like a moron, please let me know because yeah, I'd like Kevin to heads not up. do that anymore. I can't help him with that. So, I mean, I yes. could, we could both Google it, but what's but the fun? Why would we? Yeah. yeah. What's the fun in that? Oh, all right. Well, for Patreon listeners, in case you're new, we don't do a feel good fact for Patreon. We do headline hijinks. That's right. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, so this is the segment where I read two bonkers headlines, and you have to decide which one you think is true and which one you think I made up. I'll read each headline twice, and then the choice is yours. Mm. Headline one, German man learns you shouldn't drive a car to take a driving test. His explanation that was that he was trying to be on time, mm-hmm. so he drove oh. to go to his test <laughs> in a car without a license. Yeah. Headline two. <laughs> Traffic officials respond to high volume of calls regarding headless angel statue relocated from St. Mary's Church to the middle of the intersection at 3rd and Grove. That is a long headline. It is a long headline. Wow. 
Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Say them again because right, I'm going to have to think about this. German man learns you shouldn't drive a car to take driving test. Headline two, traffic officials respond to high volume of calls regarding headless angel statue relocated from St. Mary's Church to the middle of the intersection at 3rd and Grove. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm really uncertain about this one. Yeah, because first of all, you had a backstory to the first one that I wasn't sure that you would have just offered up to me. Sure. If it was real, like. Right. But that's one that you would do just to trick me. Yeah, well. So. (laughs) I will give nothing away. (laughs) I'm trying to up my game on how I. (laughs) Yeah. Second one, I can't imagine (laughs) that you, I can't imagine that you would have made that one up because it's, uh, it's like almost too obvious that it would be fake, but like you would know that too. I know. <laughs> All right. I think the one that you made up is the driving test one. Wrong. Oh, <laughs> man. You know what's funny? Mm. <laughs> I realized after I explained the German one, I was like, I'm in it. <laughs> I put my poker face on after. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little too late, but I still won. I'll you take it. You still got it. You still got it. Man, that was a good one. I I didn't realize how long it was until I was <laughs> reading it. <laughs> Like, oh boy, uh, I should have. What have I done? That I was the I, thing is it was, you, you put me in a, if you wouldn't have explained the first one, I would have been like, for sure the second one, but you explained it, which in a weird backwards way made me second guess <laughs> which one it was. Filing that away to remember for oh, next time. That's a great trick. That's funny. Wow. <gasps> I was reading it out loud. I'm pretty sure I read it differently <laughs> between the two because I realized how loud it was or not yeah. loud long yeah. it was, <laughs> but yeah. I'm just like thinking how how the newspaper headline, just how much of the page is just the title. In fairness, though, countless, countless, countless newspaper, magazine headlines mm. are like that. Like That's as fair. I'm scrolling to pick one, there are some that it's like a whole paragraph is the headline. It's like a solid four sentences. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, it's crazy how how nuts they can get. Anyway. Yeah. Whew, good one. Loved that. Good. All right. Well, dear, what do you have for us today? Okay. The Victorian era was a period in British history marked with political reform, growing economic power, stability within the government, and notable contributions to literature, culture, and the sciences. Then there are the darker elements, such as the bizarre double standard of how sex was viewed between men and women, never mind the catastrophic syphilis problem at the time, and Mm. more important to today's story, the astonishing amount of poisonings. Tales were rampant of poor fools meeting a painful, agonized end at the hands of a poisoner, and worse, in many people's opinions, was the stealth of poison. Mm. Certain poisons, such as arsenic, were odorless, colorless, and tasteless, and so deadly that even a small amount could bring even the noblest of men to an early grave. And while there are literally thousands of documented, confirmed poisonings in Victorian England, today's story definitely stands out as one of the strangest of them all. Today's story has just about every element of a good horror story. Ooh, okay. Desperation, escapism, poison, wizardry, visions, betrayal, and murder. This is the story of William Dove and the Wizard of the South Market. Ooh. Hang on, Kev. This one's a doozy. Okay. Wow. So right out of the gate, my first thought is The Princess Bride. Yeah. Where 
Iocane powder comes in. And yeah. man, if you've never seen this movie, I'm not going to spoil oh, it. Everybody's seen that movie. I sure hope so. Also, there's no such thing as spoiling a movie that's like 40 years old. Well, or 30 years old. You never, you never, you never know. We, uh, we've got, we've got, we've got a handful of watch the younger Princess listeners. Bride. Watch Princess Bride, and you'll know what scene I'm talking about. It's a must watch. Powder. It's incredible. Yeah, it is. I agree. So William Dove was born to his parents, Christopher and Mary, on July 1st of 1827, near Leeds in West Yorkshire, England. His parents were devout Wesleyan Methodists, and despite the traditionally harsh and overly strict approach to raising children that old-school Wesleyan Methodism typically promotes, the Doves took a slightly softer approach with their nine children. They were described as parents who approached parenting with a balance. They had high standards for their children, but they were not overly harsh with them. There was some level of kindness and gentleness woven into the family dynamic, but they were also far from being overly permissive, which is an impressive thing to read about hmm. when you're considering that this is old-timey, like, yeah. and these are like hyper-religious yeah, parents. Sure. It's not what you always hear. Hmm. Christopher ran a very successful leather business out of Darlington before relocating their livelihood to Leeds when William was little, when they noticed the boom brought on by indu- industrial developments in the city. They lived in a nice middle-class neighborhood and were very involved in their church and their community, but they were not immune from trouble. The family lost three of their children due to tuberculosis, but still they trudged forward with their work and remained consistent tithers at their local Methodist church. Hmm. From a pretty young age, William Dove could fairly be considered to be a troublemaker, despite being raised in a home where structure and devotion ruled the roost. Out of all of his siblings, William was definitely the most difficult and the most likely to get himself into trouble. (laughs) His shenanigans were not the manifestation of youthful curiosity and boundary pushing, but instead they were, at least in my opinion, indicative of something darker inside of William. Mm. He had this habit of lighting candles, putting them in baskets, and then hiding them in drawers and cupboards around the home. And then laughing as his parents, siblings, and house staff frantically ran around trying to find the source of the fire so they could put it out and oh, save their wow. homes from being burnt to the ground. Yikes. Okay. He took absolute delight wow. in causing all of the worst kinds of chaos. He yeah. would also take the family's cat and would suspend it out of a window by its tail. Oh. And he would like do, do very odd, cruel things to animals from a very small age, like very little. Mm. He also would take a red hot fire poker and pull it from the fireplace and then would chase his screaming sisters around the home. When his sisters would run for their lives to their bedrooms, he'd lock them in so they couldn't get out. And so they'd just sit in their rooms and just like scream and pound on the door until their parents or the house staff let him out. He wouldn't let him out either. Wow. So like not typical, I'm just testing the boundaries. It's very, there's something there. Yeah, it's pretty dark and heavy. and Yeah. Like how would Mm. a little one even really think to do these specific things? As far as school went for William, he was routinely at the bottom of his class and would regularly get into trouble for being disobedient, reckless, and wild. While his parents did seem to try to remedy the situation with William, it also seems that they weren't terribly worried about him, at least until his early teen years when he was expelled from school for bringing a gun to school. What? This was like the 1830s or 40s at the latest. Oh my gosh. Yeah. How how would... Wow. I'm like... That's next level, like, kind of cr- not. I feel like crazy's not right because there's obviously guns. Like, the Revolutionary Wars happened. Like, it'd be silly to think that guns didn't exist at that point and that they weren't even common ish. 
But that being said, that just seems like extreme yeah. in a world that doesn't have the same kind of media that we do. Right. That you see that stuff. Like where would he get that idea? Yeah. He does have a weird thing with guns and like mm. showing guns or using guns around people, even into his adulthood. You'll kind mm. of see that pop up more than once. Okay. So it was this situation of bringing the gun to school that put the gravity of the situation on full display for William's parents, who opted to send him to a boarding school in Sheffield about 50 miles from their home. The school was well-equipped to manage children with behavioral issues, according to everything I could find, but still, within a year, the school requested that William Dove be sent back to his family. They couldn't do it. The school couldn't even do it. And this is, like, what they specialized in. Wow. And they're like, you know what? He's a He has a lot of potential, but we can't mm-hmm. help him. Wow. And it's becoming disruptive to the program. Yeah. So it was, like, serious. Jeez. Yeah. Mm. His parents were absolutely dumbfounded with what to do next. They'd all but waved the white flag of surrender for their youngest son and initially thought that it would be in William and the whole family's best interest if they sent him to an asylum where he could be treated and managed and monitored by professionals. Hmm. But instead, they thought that maybe William would thrive in a situation where he could learn a trade Hmm. instead. Okay. With that, when William was a young teenager, they sent him off to learn the ins and outs of farming in Scarborough, where he would work as a farmer's apprentice. But shock of the day, which I feel like I said that more than once, (laughs) this did pretty much nothing to help William overcome his troubling behavior. And some could argue that his apprenticeship served to give him more freedom to get up to some bad deeds. Mm, He had a penchant for setting things on fire. From the covers over wagons to grass in the pastures and even his own bedroom curtains that he soaked with alcohol to, like, accelerate the fire. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. In an attempt to bring William under control, the farmer would regularly physically beat him, but this did pretty much nothing to deter the bad behavior. He once again targeted animals in his pursuit of destruction. So content warning, the way that he treated animals is extremely upsetting. And I'm going to list some of those things out here in a second. And so if that's something you don't want to hear about, please skip forward a minute. Mm -hmm. So he would pour oil on the cows for some reason. I don't know what the goal Mm. of that was or the purpose or really what effect it would have. If it would make them sick or maybe get burned or I don't know. Mm -hmm. Because it never said anything about him lighting them on fire. But he would pour oil all over them. He also would regularly attempt to poison the horses and would even set fire to farm cats who were unfortunate enough to cross paths with him. Oh, my gosh. He would use things ranging from fire to phosphorus powder. Jeez. All of this is like, like it's it's kind of the textbook, unfortunately, like the textbook, like harms small animals, Mm -hmm. does all these things. Right. Is infatuated with fire. Yeah. All of those is like, oh, no. But obviously at that point in time, maybe not obviously, I would imagine that wasn't quite as common knowledge back then. I don't, I don't think it so, was. I think that well, was a pattern kind of observed later on. Right. On top of all of that, he would frequently lash out at other farmhands. He would go on these wild, violent tantrums, threatening to kill other workers with pitchforks, and even telling them that if he had a gun, he'd shoot them without thinking twice. It came to a head at one point when William threatened the farmer's wife with a knife. Mm. Bizarrely enough, and for reasons that I don't fully grasp, the farmer was convinced by William's father to let him stay on the farm and continue his apprenticeship after a long conversation about William's unruly and oftentimes dangerous conduct. Yeah. 
No joke. I did read that the farmer was either an actual friend of Christopher Dove or that he, like anytime that the Doves would have a problem with William, Mm -hmm. that they would very kindly send a very polite letter with some money tucked in. Ah, yes. So I I feel like either way though, he probably would not have been able to continue his apprenticeship if one or both of these things were not true. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's no a, incentive. He's causing right. problems. There's a degree of, uh, I don't even know what the word would be, but there's just some degree of, okay, I'll let it slide because insert whatever thing here. Like, sure. There's something more to it than him being a good worker because he's obviously not. <laughs> right. And it's all day and every yeah. single day it's that a, he's it's doing a this. favor, right? He's doing a favor for this guy, yeah. whether or not he knows him or gets paid extra or whatever. Right. hmm. By the time that William turned 21 in 1848, he was no more prepared to own and operate his own farm than he had been when he'd first gotten there. Yeah. While he had a baseline understanding of certain farming principles, he was not exceptionally gifted in any aspect of farming that could earn him an honest living. From here, Christopher Dove arranged for his son to take on another farming apprenticeship, this time for one year. It seemed like he actually did do a little bit better this time around, and once this apprenticeship was up, the Doves funded a trip abroad for William. Hmm. Honestly, it, it does kind of seem like his family was willing to do just about anything and pay just about any amount of money to keep William away from them. Yeah. And like wow. out of the community mm-hmm. that they were thriving in. Mm-hmm. He was, wow. Which is like on one hand very sad. Yeah. And I do wonder why they never, I mean, it's probably... I don't know. I don't know what I would consider it to be that he was never medically Mm -hmm. treated. He never received any of that kind of care from what I could find. Yeah. Because I do wonder what that would have looked like, but it was so not advanced at the time. Right. That it could have been worse Mm. for William specifically. Right. I don't know. It's It's just kind of a mess. Yeah. Sounds like it. So there's really not a lot of verifiable information about William's trip overseas, but it's believed that he spent roughly two years traveling across North America, like the U.S. and Canada. Hmm. When he returned home in 1852, he was promptly given his own farm to run by his father that his father paid to lease. So he's not paying the lease. Hmm. His father found the farm, made contact with the landowner. He's taking care of like logistics at this point. Yeah. Whitewell Farm was not a super desirable property. It was fairly isolated and small, and so it wasn't full to the brim with people wanting to lease the land, but it would be a place for William to try his hand at the skill that he'd spent the better part of a decade training for. His father also paid to hire two young guys to come on as farmhands and a housekeeper named Mary Peck. This did not go swimmingly, as I'm sure is obvious at this point. William was notorious for waking up his farmhands in the middle of the night to go on a wild goose chase around the property to look for thieves and vandals who he swore were coming to ransack the farm. They never found a single trespasser on the property during these escapades, and many have wondered if this was just an excuse for William to get to play with one of his guns. He'd also regularly, like out of nowhere, fire shots into the sky for no reason, and once even set Mary Peck's hat on fire while she was wearing it. Oh, jeez. He also thought it was very funny to sneak up behind her and fire a gunshot right next to her ear. He tortured this poor lady. It was like she was always on pins and needles waiting for the shoe to drop at any given point in time. Just to be tortured. Wow. Yeah. And at the same time, I didn't write about this. I'm kind of 
free forming here, but he was not a good farmer. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Like whenever he would hear the news that another farm was beginning a harvest, mm-hmm. he would start harvesting so that he could be done first regardless of if his crop was actually ready. So like a lot of the times he would harvest things far before they were ready. Oh yeah. And also he planted like a row, like rows of apple trees. Yeah. And when they didn't bear apples after a very short period of time, like a month or two, like a very short period of time, he had them all ripped up. Oh geez. Like he's not a good farmer. (laughs) No, not good at all. Yeah. It was shortly into his time on the farm that he picked up drinking, which seemed to fuel his violent outbursts that staff on the farm regularly witnessed. For a short time, though, he did chill out a little bit after embracing Methodism, much to the joy of his parents. Hmm. There was an interesting duality in William at this time. On one hand, he would behave strangely and erratically, seemingly unprovoked. And on the other hand, he'd excitedly give generously and would welcome unhoused people onto his property and would offer them a place to sleep in his barns. Hmm. And like this was like a huge um, cultural conversation at the time. Like many people would not like lodging houses and stuff like that and charities would Mm -hmm. not welcome in any type of sex worker. And he would allow sex workers to stay in his barn. Interesting. And from everything yeah. I found, he never heard a hair on their heads. Like he yeah. fed them, gave them a place to stay. And wow. it's very strange. It doesn't really make strange. any sense. Yeah. yeah. For somebody who likes to cause so much havoc and uh, torment right. his own staff, like that's a pretty interesting right. turnaround yeah. for that kind of a setting. Yeah. But those would also be kind of like interwoven with the strange, weird, outlandish behavior, you know. So he would also regularly attend churchy gatherings and get-togethers. It was at one of these little shindigs that he met Harriet Jenkins, the woman who he would propose to just weeks after meeting. (laughs) After a few months, the pair were married and Harriet moved on to the farm. While one could hope that this would just be a happily ever after story, that's not what we do here. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, pretty shortly after their marriage, William's violent mood swings started up again, and they constantly clashed with Harriet's own struggles. After losing her brother shortly before she married William, Harriet would suffer from severe mood swings that would also cause her feelings of paranoia, a condition that would be diagnosed by physicians of the day as, quote, bouts of hysteria, Mm. which I don't know what I think she actually had because- she lost her brother very suddenly. Yeah. Um, there could be any manner of things yeah. because it was it was mental and physical for her. Well, and I think if I'm remembering correctly, um, I learned at one point that um, for a long time, anything that was mental health related in women mm-hmm. would just be generically called hysteria. It was pretty yeah. like... Oh, yeah. Just you saying that word, I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure that that's just like their just like blanket statement for we don't know what's wrong, but she's acting crazy kind of a thing. Yeah. So that's uh, really Hysteria would be the thing that they would use to diagnose baby blues and, Mm -hmm. you know, like a really rough menstruation, endometriosis, like any manner of things is hysteria. She's upset. Wow. It's just whatever about yeah, it. That's really sad. Yeah, it is it is really sad. She never hesitated to call William out for any perceived flirtation between William and any women around him, and the pair were constantly at each other's throats. Jeez. Housekeepers and farmhands would often quit just as quickly as they were hired, citing fear for their own safety after witnessing William's violent outbursts and his volatile fights with Harriet. 
Even less than a year in, their marriage was in dire straits, and this was evident to just about anyone looking in from the outside, as well as to those closest to the couple. Harriet's mother and siblings were very concerned about her well-being. Her brother would recall a sort of nervous anticipation that would follow him anytime he was going to visit them. Hmm. He never knew which version of William that he'd encounter. Yeah. William would either be so dramatically out of sorts, violent, explosive, and all of that kind of stuff, or he would be so over the moon excited and happy. Mm. Harriet's mother started pushing the subject of divorce pretty early on as well. Mm -hmm. But as we'll see later on, divorce was not something that was readily available to anybody but the wealthiest people in Victorian England at the time. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And it actually plays a huge role in this story, and unfortunately, many like it. Yeah. Honestly, his behavior was always scary and concerning, but it was in the summer of 1854 that it started to reach boiling point. On August 11th, 1854, William was arrested for threatening to shoot his parents and then himself. He spent a short time in prison, and once he came out, a casual conversation with one of his farmhands would be the catalyst for William's final mission in life. One night, one of his dogs got out, and so he enlisted the help of a farmhand by the name of John Hardcastle. The two were making small talk and were not having any luck finding the dog when William had a very normal question. Do you think a wizard could help me find the dog? Very normal question. Hey, can't find this dog. Maybe a wizard could help. Yeah, of all things. Yeah. It turns out that John Hardcastle was just the person to ask this question to. John believed that, yes, a wizard absolutely could help us find the dog. And in fact, John knew of a person who had used a wizard to help him locate stolen guns and even Mm. put the culprits behind bars. And John himself had been helped by that very same wizard. Wow. Yeah. So John had owed a significant debt and was informed that bailiffs had planned to come to his home and seize his possessions to satisfy the debt. So John contacted the wizard who did some magic and boom, when the bailiffs were literally on their way to John's home, they got in a horrible accident and were so badly injured that they were both bedridden for a long period of time, allowing John to move his possessions off the property where they couldn't be seized. Hmm. And better yet, as far as William was concerned, John even knew how to get a hold of the wizard. Hmm. His name was Henry Harrison, the wizard of the South Market. Okay. So, a couple of things jump out to me. Number one. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> number one, the fact that he would just, like, casually bring that up, like, no big deal. Um, that's That seems like he would have, like, been uh, suspicious isn't the right word, but it's what I'm going to use right now. Like, that he knew John had had some interaction, action, some interaction with a wizard to ask that kind of a question. You know, I think in many cases that would be true. But in William Doves, I actually just think that's how he his brain works. Well, that's fair, too. <laughs> I but, actually think that that would be something. Yeah. William would bring up. Well, and maybe like even jokingly, if it started off as a joke. Yeah, yeah, and sure. Then it was like, like, I could see that if he was serious, though, it makes me like wonder, like, what did he already know? They would ask that question. Yeah. But if it was a joke, then that yeah, is a good it, thought. A joke that turns into something like, oh, wait, actually. You know, that can be more happenstance and coincidence, I guess. Yeah. The other thing is uh, Victorian England in the 1830s? 50s. 50s. Um, I can't imagine that witchcraft went over a whole lot better hmm. than it did in New England. Sure. Around this same time. 
Yeah. Yeah? No? Maybe? You're, you're correct. We'll talk about it. Okay. They had a little bit of a workaround in Victorian England. Okay. There was a little kind of sneaky way that, mm. you know, young witches or old witches and wizards could operate their businesses pretty much in plain sight mm. without the church coming to burn it down. Okay. That's unfortunately not always the case. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the times the, the church does come in and literally burn it down right. and everyone inside, right. uh, which we'll probably talk about. We haven't done that yet. There yeah. are, People always think of Salem when they mm-hmm. think of witches, but there are literally hundreds and hundreds of witch trials. Yeah. Not well, in and, Salem. Yeah. Salem, if I'm remembering that correctly, was also like a solid 100 plus years before this. It wasn't. Yeah. Um, wasn't it in six, late 16, early 1700s? I think so. Don't quote me on that. I don't remember. But, yeah, I don't remember yeah. either. But I mean, that's a that's a notable chunk of time difference. So I don't want to jump too quick into like 1850s. So witches are still getting hunted. I don't I don't have that. The timeline is a little fuzzy it's for little, me. Yeah. But even still, 1850 is a pretty safe bet to say witches and wizards maybe were not looked looked upon with a lot of favor. Sure. At this point. That is fair. So I'm very curious how that plays out in Victorian England. Totally. So this was the foolproof, perfect idea for William. But he also had a problem that he needed help with, like another Hmm. issue. He told John Hardcastle that he'd gotten himself into a sticky situation with Mr. King, the owner of Whitewell Farm. On a whim, William had sent a notice to Mr. King that he wanted to end his lease at Whitewell Farm, but realized afterwards that that's not actually what he wanted. Hmm. It was. It seems like it was an impulsive thing where he's like, oh, I hate this place. We're done. Yeah. I'm yeah. just going to send my notice and call it a day. The trouble was that since he hadn't been the greatest tenant in the world, William was convinced that Mr. King wouldn't be too keen on him renewing. So mm-hmm. maybe a wizard could come in and use some wizardy magic to sway Mr. King into allowing William to keep his tenancy, maybe? Wow. John Hardcastle surely thought so. And so this would be William's next course of action to contact the Wizard of the South Market to save his tenancy on the farm. Believe it or not, wizards or wise men and wise women or cunning folk, as they were sometimes called back in the day, Hmm. were not actually that uncommon in the 1850s in the southern part of England. Hmm. They were lauded by plenty of folks who claimed that these wise men possessed power and wisdom that could essentially be offered as a service. They could be hired to detect and prevent thieves from entering property. They could recover lost items, promote good fortune, tell futures, conjure up romance, ward off evil spirits, cure the sick, and bewitch enemies. Hmm. With such stark class divisions and lack of resources for those suffering with serious illness or destitution, and with the livelihood of most women with lower or even like middle class backgrounds, mm-hmm. their very security often rested in the status and wealth of the man that they would go on to marry. So it's not that hard to see why so many people would flock to someone promising them an escape mm-hmm. and a secure future. Yeah. Wow. With the prominence of the church in Victorian England, those practicing witchcraft were slowly but steadily being edged out into the fringes of society, but they would fight to keep their place in the culture. The wise men would oftentimes advertise themselves as astrological doctors or dentists. They would then forge their credentials and set up shop in market towns, such as South Market in Leeds, like Henry Harrison would go on to do. Unlike witches and wizards in tiny rural villages who generally refuse to be paid for their services, market wizards definitely charged for their services, (laughs) and they made a pretty decent living doing so. Yeah. 
Unfortunately, the desperate and gullible were almost always their best customers. Their magic didn't necessarily have to work. The wise men just had to put on a really good show and their livelihood was safe and secure. Mm -hmm. And so we should probably talk about Henry Harrison. Yes. The wizard of the South Market. (laughs) I do not like this guy. Good. Dang, that is a cool name. That is a cool name. I agree. I was surprised after you told me the, the name of this story. We... We don't title these right. We don't title these before we record, but I get like a working title. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you said the name, I'm like, why is this not called that guy's name? But I guess we're, I'm probably because I find didn't want to spoil it for you. <laughs> That's a good point. I'm calling it the Wizard and the Dove because that is like <laughs> the coolest that title. That is a great title. <laughs> New band album name. <laughs> New album name. <laughs> New album's dropping. Look, be on the lookout. Love it. All right. So Harrison was born in Leeds in 1816 and spent the early part of his adult life as a factory worker. By the time he was in his 30s, Harrison was married to a woman named Jane, and they welcomed two children together. But by 1840, he abandoned them in search of something more. After a brief time in prison for the desertion of his family, he spent a little time dabbling in some petty crimes, such as theft. Hmm. Eventually, Harrison moved into a lodging house run by a woman named Elizabeth Brown. Harrison and Elizabeth hit it off, and despite the fact that he was still a married man with children, the two lived very much like a husband and Mm. wife would. In the years that followed, they relocated to South Market, where Elizabeth set up a grocery business, and a short time later, Harrison began offering his services as a wizard. He started small, selling prepared herbs and medications, and then quickly advanced into offering astrology readings and other spells and charms for those looking to escape any one of life's many chokeholds, or those looking forward to a brighter future for themselves. Mm -hmm. Not that hard to market in a desperate time. Yeah. By the 1850s, Harrison, who set up shop as an astrological dentist, was highly regarded in South Market for his wizardry, with dozens claiming all of the many ways that Harrison had helped them with his powers. And it was in October of 1854 that William Dove came in looking for Harrison's services. So that's how their their paths would eventually cross. Yeah. On a dark October night, Harrison sat down with John Hardcastle and William Dove at a South Market pub. William told Harrison about his situation, and over the course of six hours of drinking and scheming in the pub, Harrison agreed to put together an astrological chart and a game plan for helping William to keep his tenancy on the farm well into the future. Hmm. Two weeks later, Harrison arrived on the farm. He pulled out a handful of copper coins that he'd written these little, like, uh, William called them hieroglyphic symbols. Hmm on them and scattered the coins in various specific coordinates around the farm to ward off the evils of the landowner with plans of simply following through with canceling William's tenancy at his own request. Hmm. I would just like to point out that Mr. King has no idea that William wants to recant that. Right. And so if he were to come and try and enforce William's own wishes. Yes. Like, why wouldn't he? <laughs> right. He has no reason to believe right. that this written notice <laughs> isn't legit. You know what I mean? Yes, like, I know what you mean. Come on. It's like, why wouldn't he start by saying, by the way, hey, buddy, I don't want to leave. Like, he hasn't even done that yet. It no, sounds like. he never reached back out. 
<laughs> so, okay. That's odd. <laughs> this is William in a nutshell, yeah, really. Yeah. After scrawling out another charm onto a piece of paper, William was advised to keep the paper on him at all times to secure the efficacy of the charms, thus keeping his tenancy on the farm forevermore. <laughs> While William thought that this was a rock-solid plan, Harriet was unconvinced, to say the least. Oh, weird. She was like, what are we doing? <laughs> But when they were able to keep their tenancy on the farm, William was convinced at that point more than ever that Harrison's magic was the real deal, his lifeline in his most dire time of need. Wow. Yeah, crazy. Three weeks after Harrison's visit to the farm, William lost the charm that was written on the paper. So he set up an appointment <laughs> with the wise man to get a replacement charm. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Just a replacement. Just to replace it, yeah. It was at this meeting that William asked if Harrison could conjure something up to fix the many issues in his marriage. He told the wise man that despite their constant fighting, he truly had married Harriet for love, and he just wanted to do what he could to try and salvage yeah. what was left of their crumbling union. Hmm. Like, actually, like anything that I've read, I read a book for this, and that whole bit where he's first coming to Harrison, yeah. wanting help with the marriage, is yeah. very sincere. Interesting. It's like, I don't know what's wrong with me that I can't stop fighting with her, but I love her. Yeah. And like, we're really on the edge of not making it, and I need your help. So there's a there's a different uh, tone, I feel like, Yeah. to this. Well, it's a different kind of request. It is. It's a request of like, partnership and camaraderie. It's not a request of... Having save a my job, butt. Yeah. save my butt, save my job that I don't actually like. Right. <laughs> like, right. like it's it's something deeper already. The request of, for for that kind of help in a desperate state, yeah, right, it's just already. Different. And I feel like he would have asked for a different type of charm or or spell or whatever mm -hmm. if he was over it with Harriet. Like if he was mad at her, he it wouldn't surprise yeah. me if he would be like, "Can you write a crazy hex?" Yeah. Because, like, that would be sick. Yeah. Like, he would say something, something like something that. Crazy. Yeah. Right. So, as he wrote up a fresh charm, Harrison told William that he could definitely help with this problem, but it would take a bit of time, which William was willing and able to deal with. Hmm. In the meantime, William continued to seek out Harrison's wizardly services. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. That same autumn, William's father had fallen extremely ill and was knocking on death's door. When he consulted the wise man about this, he was informed that his father would not make it to Christmas Day. When Christopher Dove passed away on Christmas Eve, this further solidified mm. to William that the wise man was the wisest of the wise men, someone truly worthy of trusting. Never mind the fact that William was struggling to make regular due payments to the wise man. Ooh. Yeah. And he would like kind of just start giving him random things yeah. to like satiate yeah. The growing debt. Because he does not he's not running a lucrative right. mass scale farm. Right. He's pooching at, at running a very tiny one that nobody really wants anyways. Right. You know. His dad's paying for everything. When his dad just passed away. Exactly. Yeah. So things would continue to spiral downwards for the doves. 
By March of 1855, they lost their tenancy on the farm and moved to a small house in the hamlet of Woodhouse, about 10 miles to the southwest of Leeds. On top of that, Harriet's health had continued to decline. Mm. They tried to do what they could to savor the little things. Like one day when Harriet was feeling particularly down, William scooped her up and pushed her around in a wheelbarrow outside. The two laughed and had a great time. <laughs> like they were, they had Aww. the best day ever. Yeah. With him just pushing her around in the wheelbarrow and yeah. laughing. Just by being, acting like dumb 20 year olds. Yeah. Well, they were, they were in their twenties. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. They were in their late 20s at this yeah. point. Oh. Yeah. It's really, really sad. It, that puts it into an interesting perspective, too, because you only ever think of, like, I mean, maybe not you. I think of Victorian England people, like, they jump from age 8 to age 38. Like. <laughs> Suddenly. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe, like, 16 to 38. Like, sure. I don't, like, imagine them in their young adulthood. Sure. Because they just, it could, because, granted, Oftentimes, their lives were jumping right from childhood to young adulthood right. to being a parent. Right. Like, so maybe that's why my brain goes there. But in this sure. case, it's like, that was surprising to me for you to tell me that. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, they'd be like like a little bit younger than us. Right. That's crazy. It anyway. was surprising for me to read that too because William was so erratic and mm-hmm. angry all the time that like in a moment that she actually needed to be cheered up, he did that. He just did it. Yeah. He didn't even think about it. He literally picked her up and brought her outside and pushed her around and had fun with her. Mm-hmm. Like that's a, I feel like that was a really, uh, I don't know the exact right term for it, but my opinions on William as being this very one dimensional character did change a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, there's something there. Okay. Yeah. You know? That's a good point. But unfortunately there was an irreparable tension in the air for the couple, which led William to seek out Harrison's services yet again. The two sat down and Harrison pulled out his book of destiny and opened up to a blank page. He sketched out a circle surrounding the signs of the Zodiac and began to use additional markings to map out William's past, present, and future. He told him that between the ages of 27 and 32, William would suffer nothing but misfortune. But when he turned 32 years old, things would turn around in a major way and everything would work in his favor. And this is where things go from bad to very bad to worse. Harrison told William that in his 32nd year, he would lose his wife. But also in his 32nd year, he'd have a child and would get remarried. And he even managed to give a physical description of the woman. She would be beautiful, with auburn hair, a fair complexion, and a good fortune. Hmm. William was through the roof. Just mind-bogglingly excited. Yeah, that's probably not the right perspective to have when you learn that your spouse is going to die. Right. I'd be very mad at you. Yeah. I would be so mad at you. Um, <laughs> you're going to die, but don't worry. Right. What the heck, <laughs> It'll William? turn out just fine for me. Right. That's, uh, <laughs> the worst thing I've William, heard in a minute. William, let's, have a go, let's go have a conversation. Well, he let's, was like excited, like, oh, things are going to get better. Because like <laughs> really his day to day has been misfortune. Yeah, yeah. Harrison already knew that. Yeah. Like, basically, William's been a completely open book. Yeah. And so it's not like he accurately guessed this. Hmm. William is coming to him with many problems. And if he's spending any amount of time with William, which he is at bars, Mm -hmm. talking in his office, all that kind of stuff, it's not hard to make an observation about someone who's very clearly not fully in their right mind, struggling to barely keep his head above water. Mm Mm-hmm. 
it's not hard to say, yeah, things will keep being hard for a little while. But if you trust me, don't worry, things will be great now here. (laughs) Now, please pay me my money. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's just sad. So William went home and told Harriet that he was given a revelation that she would die in February, taunting her with his bright future that he believed was a sure thing because a wizard told him oh, so. Oh, jeez, what a freaking jerk. I know, right? Oh. When you like start feeling a little bit of something for him besides like annoyance and like overall disdain, he does this kind of thing. Right. I'm like, dang it, William. Like, dude, also you got... At least a couple more years left. Like right, because he's like twenty eight at this time. Gotta have some Almost kind of twenty nine, uh, maybe. Yeah, some some kind of like tact, even like at worst. He just can't help himself. But yeah, feels like almost everything he says and does is completely by impulse. Ugh, man. Talks of divorce would become an everyday occurrence for the Doves, so much so that Harriet's mother even took them to have a deed of separation written up for the couple, hmm. which, apart from there being an affair in the marriage, that was pretty much the only way that anyone who wasn't extremely wealthy could split up. Hmm. It literally took tons of money and an actual act of parliament to obtain a legal divorce at that time in Victorian England. Wow. Like a legitimate act of parliament. Yeah. Another shocker is that deeds of separation and divorce tended to favor the man. While the woman would get a secured payment of one-third of the man's income in the years that followed, the deal would be off if she was found having any level of relationship with another man, no matter how long it had been since the time of the separation, or if it was a friendship, or Mm. if the man moved on, didn't matter. Yeah. Wow. So the man was fully allowed to go on and have relations with any other woman that he wanted with no penalty. In some cases, the man would also get full custody of any children and would maintain residence in the shared home. Wow. It was extremely inequitable, yeah, obviously, sounds but like it. Harriet was miserable. I, mm-hmm. I say all of that to point out the facts, but also just to illustrate, you have to be a very desperate woman mm-hmm. to agree to, to a separation. Yeah. But her family offered to come alongside of her and support her. So Harriet's mother, William, and Harriet went to a lawyer and had the decree written up. When William burst into hysterics, telling Harriet that he wanted to fight for their marriage, the lawyer told her that if she gave her husband another chance, he wouldn't charge them for the deed and Mm. that they could revisit the matter at a later date if they still felt like separation was the best option. So he became this crying puddle, begging for her not to separate from him even yeah. though he's been taunting her yeah about her death her impending doom i feel like there's so much that you've said that the first thing that pops my mind is like is does this guy have like a split personality disorder like right. or something like we would maybe like diagnose people with certain things and I'm, we we are not armchair uh uh diagnoses diagnosers i don't know we're not medical professionals in any way and we want to avoid armchair diagnosing i get what you're saying that's what i'm saying it does seem like there's some level of of abnormality that we would now have a name for and a treatment plan for that doesn't involve electro electric shock right or something crazy and, and terrible like what people had to go through in many asylums across the world yeah well and that's the thing is to circle back to the beginning his family considered an asylum and opted out of that Mm -hmm. probably because of how just inhumane it seemed or even like just something that they just were like, ah, that he's not that like, 
he doesn't need that maybe like i don't sure. know how they would how they would think through that it's hard for me to put myself in that position because i've things were so different right yeah things were also just like yeah it's a it's not a different world but society was different the standard of care was mm-hmm. way different mm-hmm. the way that someone struggling and suffering from any type of physical disease let alone mental illness yeah it's just different right and at the end of the day he he doesn't benefit as much from going into hysterics and begging for her to fight for their marriage unless he means it right it but sounds like, like he yeah. he really benefits if she just decides to go through with the separation right in most case, in most ways yeah and yeah so there's there's something not connecting somewhere with mm-hmm. all this and um yeah my brain keeps going like man that just it seems so off and there's something not quite like in line there so yeah yeah just as man, you were the, telling me that like that was the first thing it's like man that's a extreme turnaround so right well and i feel like at the very least he is very impulsive mm-hmm. and i've said that already mm-hmm. i feel like that's inarguable without yeah. Trying to offer an armchair diagnosis. His his thoughts and feelings and words and actions are all operated by yes. very, very wild impulse. Yeah. Yeah. While they were living in their new home, the couple tried to treat it as a fresh start. William found work and made efforts to stop drinking, which did help the fighting quite a bit. Mm. Harriet also struck up a friendship with their neighbor, a mother of a young son and widow named Jane Whitham. So Jane was not impressed by William, and she could hear him screaming at Harriet through the paper-thin walls on the regular, Mm. but William was enamored with Jane, and it just so happened that she was fair-skinned with auburn hair and had received quite a bit of money when her engineer husband had passed away. Oh, no. Which got William's wheels turning. Is this my future wife? And child? Yeah. Because if he's going to gain a wife and a child at the age of 32, a young woman, she was the same yeah. age, yeah. with a young child that he could oh take in gosh. as his own. So he really thought that's what was going on. Yeah. During this time, Harriet's condition continued to be a struggle for her, and it became sort of a routine that William would walk to the pharmacy to pick up her medications. So, like, he was trying to help her, sort of. He, like, alleviated that from being something she had to do, which is nice, I guess. But, I mean, he still has this mindset of, like, she's going to die and I'll be better off. That's so weird. It's very strange. Yeah. One day while visiting Harrison, a news headline caught William's eye. It was about a well-respected doctor by the name of William Palmer who was on trial for killing his friend with the help of strychnine, which prompted William to ask Harrison more about the poison. He asked him if strychnine could be detected in the human body. Very inconspicuous. Mm. Harrison told him no, and not with any other vegetable poison, like belladonna and things like that. Spoiler, strychnine is absolutely detectable in the human body, and it was even back then. (laughs) Wow. If they'd paid attention to the Palmer case at all, they both would have seen that the only reason he was on trial for the murder by strychnine case to begin with was because an autopsy revealed that strychnine had been used and the symptoms preceding death were basically screaming hot red flags for strychnine poisoning. Yeah. What were those red flags, you might be wondering? So I'm just going to kind of talk a little bit about strychnine. Okay. Something that I really don't think about and feel a little strange Googling. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> so okay. strychnine poisoning is characterized by painful spasms and convulsions due to the inhibition of postsynaptic glycine receptors in the spine. On top of that, a person suffering from the ill effects of the poison will also experience extreme stiffness and rigidity, respiratory distress, heightened awareness and anxiety, and they were often found almost bent backwards in half by their convulsions paired with the stiffness. Like they would be bent in half the wrong way. Oh, wow. Like not forward to touch your toes, but completely backwards. And they couldn't like find any relief from being in that position because of the rigidity of all of the muscles because the receptors weren't working. Wow. That's crazy. Isn't that terrible? Yeah. It's like just a miserable way to die. Mm. On one of his trips to Dr. Morley's surgery, the dispensary slash pharmacy where he would go to get Harriet's medicine, Mm -hmm. William nonchalantly brought up the Palmer case and asked the pharmacy workers, John uh, Ellitson and James Peacock, some casual questions about strychnine, namely about its postmortem detectability. Wow. Both men assured him that, yes, it is highly detectable. And they even showed him how they administer the test for the poison and showed him medical journals recently published about it. So, like, one of the guys was in the, like, not total back area preparing Harriet's medicine. And yeah. the other guy was at the front counter. And he was just casually talking about the Palmer case. Yeah. Crazy that they found it in the in the autopsy or whatever. That's wild. Is that normal? Mm. And they're like, yeah, we just ran this test like a week ago. Yeah. Here's some medical journals wow. to support that it is highly detectable. Oh. But, yeah. That's yeah. crazy. So, they they gave him all the information that he also needed to... To not make a bad choice. Right. Right. Because I I see where this is going. Yes. Yes. So, like I said, it it was 100% without a doubt traceable. But in William's mind, the wizard told him otherwise. Mm. So he remained unconvinced. He told the men about his current home and the infestation of feral cats that he had at the time. Mm -hmm. And he asked if he could purchase some strychnine in order to get rid of them. So with that, the pharmacist wrapped up 10 grains of the poison, wrapped it in a paper package and labeled it poison. And then William went on his way to conduct a little experiment. Mm. William went home and pulled out a piece of meat. He sprinkled a few grains of the poison onto the meat and left it outside. And sure enough, one of the feral cats was found dead after eating the meat shortly after. He buried the cat, and with that, the decision was made. He would go and get more strychnine and would use it to kill his wife. Mm. He managed to get himself five more grains of the poison at the pharmacy, proudly exclaiming that the first bit of poison had taken care of a bunch of the feral cats, but he would need a little bit more in order to totally eradicate the group. Mm. He brought the poison home and mixed it with Harriet's medication and gave it to her. Oh, my gosh. This was in late February of 1855. So the frustration, or 1856, excuse me. So I think one of the things that is most baffling about this to me and like the the frustration of the timing, because it seems like he always is talking to the right person mm-hmm. about the bad idea that he has. Right. Like, the, like and on one hand, the right person to affirm. Mm-hmm his idea in his mind or the right person to give him relevant information that might sway him otherwise. Mm -hmm. And like reading that news headline about Dr. Palmer Mm -hmm. should have been enough. And like so many little things like that would happen. And in this case, it was never his job to give her the medication. All of the house staff and her mother and like a bunch of things had happened that none of the regular women who would help take care of Harriet's medical needs Uh were available. And so he was able to sneak it into her medication and give it to her. I hate that. Because like anybody familiar with the medicine would have noticed that it's different. Yeah. 
Jeez. Yeah, it's really a bummer. That's a huge bummer. That's really like just the worst way for a coincidence or a happenstance, yeah. whatever you want to call it, to come about is like there were so many levels of making a different decision and he right. just kept on going down that road. Well, and had wow. the house staff or her mother or any of her siblings been there mm-hmm. or even Jane from next door, they could have seen the package labeled poison. Right. Somebody could have found it. Somebody could have found the dead cat before he did, but they didn't. Mm. It's just crazy that everything unfolded the way that it did. So within a few days, Harriet began complaining of a strange sensation in her legs and a feeling quite curious as she said it. Mm. I'm feeling quite curious. Something's up with my legs. And within just a few hours of making that statement, Harriet was suffering from nightmarish convulsions and sharp pains in her chest. Oh, Doctors came by the home and examined her, but they couldn't pinpoint exactly what was wrong with her. So they gave her medication to aid digestion, which improved her condition a little bit, Mm -hmm. but the painful fits continued. Mm -hmm. As more physicians, including Dr. Morley from the dispensary, stopped by attempting to help Harriet, William said something odd. He asked them not to do a postmortem exam of Harriet's body. While it wasn't uncommon to decline the procedure at the time, the doctors didn't believe that Harriet was going to die. They just thought that she was ill, but that she'd recover. So why would the husband be making demands about postmortem procedures? Yeah. Very strange. That's super weird. Like he's the only one who knows she's been poisoned. Everybody else literally thinks she's got some weird bug. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. That's that's like so shady. I know. Like straight up acting suspicious. I know. So... I really hope that they're still going to do that when that happens, but okay, keep going. Just wait. But sadly, with the company of a few women from town, Harriet Dove passed away on March 1st, twisted and bent horrendously backwards in her bed, an expression of abject fear and pain across her face. Mm. While no foul play was suspected in the immediate aftermath, that would quickly change when it was learned that William had been in possession of high quantities of strychnine poison, prompting quick action towards conducting the postmortem exam after all. Mm-hmm. So, like, we're well, going to do the exam. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Morley himself, who just so happened to have a specialized interest in toxicology, mm-hmm. which was lucky, wow. performed the exam and he noted signs of poison in Harriet's organs, but he couldn't make an immediate determination on her cause of death. Hmm. Interestingly, he remembered that William had been talking about using the poison to kill cats near his home. So a group of men snuck to the dove's home, dug up the cat that had been very recently buried, Mm -hmm. and conducted the same tests. And boom, the effects of the poison on both Harriet's body and the cats were identical. Wow. They knew the cat had strychnine. Yeah. And everything matched. Meanwhile, William is waltzing around believing he had just pressed fast forward on achieving his great fortune. The first step of losing his wife was complete and four years early, no less. So he was on cloud nine. But roughly a week later, William was brought in for a coroner's inquest where the results of the autopsy were revealed. Mm -hmm. Medical professionals believed wholeheartedly that the only substance that could produce such a result on the exam was strychnine. Yeah. William maintained that, yes, he did have the poison in his home, but if Harriet ingested any, it was surely by accident and not the result of intentional poisoning. Thanks to testimony from the doctors and a huge amount of public interest in the case, it was promptly sent sent to trial mm-hmm. for murder. Yeah. Well, like, the good. courts were like, this is fishy at best. Yeah. And we need to eliminate even the slightest 
yeah. suspicion if we're going to let this guy go. Yeah. Because for how poorly women were viewed and treated in society, being mm-hmm. a wife killer is like yeah. the equivalent of being a child killer. Yeah. Like they're some of the most horrendous of horrendous crimes, even at that time. Yeah. So. That's, wow. It's crazy to think about this guy who has like, maybe not the best life. Things aren't aren't going great for him. Mm-hmm. But he still has like a pretty all right, like set up. Yeah. Like there's still a house staff caring right. for his family. Right. And there's still like so many things. And maybe this is just me once again, being a little bit uh, uneducated on life in the 1850s. Sure. But like, and in Victorian England, no, no less. But <laughs> even still, it's a point of like, okay, dude, you don't, you don't have it that bad. Right. Like, and he's just thinking, if only I can do this very messed up, obviously messed up thing, then it'll all be better. And right. I'm just like, oh, buddy, no. But why? I know. Ugh. Literally can't help himself. Yeah. In the meantime, William was sent to York Castle, where he would sit in a jail cell until the time of the trial. While the media was quick to cite William's erratic behavior and label him a Satan worshiper and a wife killer, he was still confident that this was all just part of the wizard's master plan. Mm, the wizard. Forgot about him. Yeah. He comes up again, believe it or not. Harrison had read his future and it was supposed to be bright, so he just needed to go through the process and hang on until the whole thing blew over. No big deal. But as the trial got closer and closer, William's confidence morphed into concern as he began to wonder for the first time at this, like at any point in the whole story, (laughs) if the wizard's magic wasn't as effective as he had once, as he had once believed it was. Okay. I'm going to say this is just, we never do this, but your face as you read that. (laughs) Very unhinged. (laughs) I felt it happening. Your your eyes got big and you just like (laughs) shook your head. Like what's wrong with this guy? (laughs) I know. You are going to not even believe what I'm about to read. Okay. I was giggling while I was writing this. Okay. I'm going to leave my LaCroix on the table so I don't actually spit it all over the place. Good idea. So he took matters into his own hands. He decided to write a letter. And he didn't write a letter to his lawyer or even to Harrison or to anyone that one might assume could actually help him in any Mm -hmm. way. But instead, he wrote a letter to the highest authority that he believed that he could appeal to. The letter read, quote, Dear Devil. Oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Dear Devil, if you will get me clear at the assizes, which is the courts, and let me have the enjoyment of life, health, wealth, tobacco, beer, more food, and better, my wish is granted and live till I am 60. Come to me and tell me and remain your faithful servant, William Dove. To seal the deal, he had written this entire letter in his own blood. No. Dear devil. What? Oh, oh wow. That's not going to help him. I love that. He just like, well, I have your attention. Yeah. Devil. Maybe you could get me some better food and more of it. I like how he said more food and better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe like a couple smokes and like some beer. <laughs> yeah. That would be cool. Uh, the, I, <laughs> the, I need to ask the question. 
where's where's he going to send this letter to? Exactly. Well, it's actually funny because he tried to get a, he was in a position where he was not allowed to write letters unless they were like approved. It was like a whole process. Sure. And so he had actually gotten caught trying to smuggle a letter to Harrison out, like in the very early stages of him waiting for trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, the He was going to send it with someone being released, but that guy got caught. Mm. And so he wrote this and sewed it into his bed. Oh, wow. But like. He probably just assumed that the devil would just like read it. Just like the tooth fairy. Just show yeah. up. And get the, <laughs> get yeah, the letter the from under works. his pillow. Here, oh, yeah. I forgot about this one. I'm glad I didn't miss it. Yeah. And I didn't mention this at the beginning, but his sisters had claimed when he was very young that he had sold his soul to the devil because they caught him like cutting his, cutting his fingers mm-hmm. and like wiping blood on a paper and like talking to the devil. So that's oh, not good. So one yeah. might argue that maybe... The devil didn't mm-hmm. show up this time, but maybe like he showed up for all the rest of this story. Yeah. Good there grief. Were, there were a lot of other moments, maybe. Who mm. knows? Wow. Yeah. Much to his chagrin, the devil did not show up or grant him any of his wishes. The summer assizes began on July 9th, 1856 at the courthouse at York Castle with William Dove's trial being the major case that the public was interested in attending. There were enough applications for a seat at the trial that the courthouse could have been filled 10 times over. Wow. On Wednesday, July 16th, 1856, Williams' trial officially began. The judge presented the history of the case to the jury, explaining the strained relationship between William and Harriet and like his erratic behavior and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. He also offered an explanation of the effects of strychnine poisoning and any other relevant information. After entering in William's plea of not guilty to the court, the defense declared that William couldn't be accountable for his actions as he was clearly insane. (laughs) They maintained William's insanity throughout the trial and even went so far as to proclaim Henry Harrison's wizardly influence to be the major catalyst for William's actions. That had William been of sane mind and had not been told that his like future was going to be so great without his wife by a hack posed as a wizard that maybe he would have never had a reason to kill Harriet to begin with. Mm. The prosecution fought back, presenting the observable facts in the case, backing up the judge's initial presentation to the court and calling forward various witnesses to come forward and give testimony of William's history of violence and erratic behavior, as well as his devotion to the devil. After four days in court, the jury was sent off to deliberate, and after about 30 minutes, they came back with their verdict. William Dove was found guilty of the murder of his wife by strychnine poisoning. He was promptly sentenced to death. Despite making an immediate appeal, it was quickly shot down, and on August 9, 1856, in front of a crowd of more than 10,000 people, William Dove was executed by hanging. He was left for an hour in the rain before he was cut down, and dealt with accordingly. Wow. Now, so it was a big thing. Yeah. It was an event. 10,000 people? Yeah, it was estimated between ten and 15,000 people showed up. Wow. Yeah. So I bet you you have that itching question in the back of your mind that's like, what about the wizard? Yes. What could have happened to the wizard? Immediately after the trial, Harrison's business was booming. He had more clients than ever, despite the scandal and despite the papers calling for his head on a platter for Uh. his actions in the Dove case. They believed he absolutely needed to be accountable for his hand in it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was also very weird because he was well aware that the spotlight was on him Mm -hmm. in his role in the whole deal. But he also was like 
advertising himself more and like trying to put himself out there to grow his business at the same time and was accepting just about everybody as a client. It was like a whole weird kind of back and forth whiplash almost. Yeah. So one day a woman came to his shop seeking his services. This was a woman by the name of Eliza Croft. She was seeking the wizard's help in obtaining a charm to help win over the affections of a man that she had feelings for. She was given charms, spells, herbs, and all manner of help from the wizard, but nothing seemed to be working in her favor. Mm. On one of her return visits to the wizard, in true Victorian fashion, he suggested that maybe the two of them needed to form a deeper connection in order for the magic to fully take root. This was code for, hey, maybe we should have sex about it. Yeah. Yeah. I could tell. Yeah, when she declined his advances, the wizard was greatly displeased. Content warning. I'm going to mention, unfortunately and shockingly, sexual assault and the extremely unfair sexist follow-up to that assault being reported. And so if you don't want to hear about that, skip forward a few minutes. So when she declined his advances repeatedly, Harrison proceeded to sexually assault the young woman. He told her that he would put a curse on her if she ever came forward about it. But thanks to the encouragement of a dear friend of hers, Eliza reported the assault, which saw the wizard quickly on trial himself. Wow. Charged with rape and fortune-telling by the courts, his trial began on October 23rd, 1856. Hmm. Despite graphic testimony, the rape charge was reduced to aggravated assault, and he was set to be sentenced to three months in prison Mm. for his crime. Three months. I roll. So unbelievable and so offensive and gross. When the judge asked the gathering if anyone else had anything that they would like to bring to the court's attention about Harrison, a woman stood up. It was Jane Harrison, his wife. Oh. She told the courts of his desertion of their family, so the trial was extended. Oh. At the follow-up, another woman by the name of Miss Brown came forward. And according to the prosecution, Miss Brown was another wife of Harrison's. No way. The last name Brown should sound familiar. Remember Elizabeth Brown, the owner of the lodging home that Uh he like lived with and they kind of played house together? Yeah. Well, it was not her that came forward, but her daughter. No way. Another content warning. This is (gasps) horrifying on just about every level. There's going to be more conversations of sexual assault in this next bit. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a second. This was Elizabeth Brown's daughter, Sarah Brown. He married Sarah after sexually assaulting her and getting her pregnant, forcing her to go through the pregnancy and give the baby away after birth. She would shortly afterwards would learn that the baby passed away. Oh. Just very traumatic. But two wives were not enough for the old magician. No way. Another woman came forward. This time it was a lady by the name of Maria Steele who also claimed to have been legally married to Harrison in 1850. So bigamy, as it was referred to at the time, was completely illegal, so the charge of bigamy was added to his list of crimes. After the trial, he was found guilty on all accounts and was sentenced to, get this, four years of servitude and hard labor for all of that. So we've got at least two counts of sexual assault, aggravated sexual assault. We've got family desertion, at least three charges of bigamy. We've also got the fortune telling, which like that's kind of like a little bit of an eye roll for me. Like I get it was part of the times. Yeah. Four years. This is worse. After serving less than one year, he was released and he disappeared into obscurity, never to be seen or heard from again. 
But conversations about wizards, wise men, and the cunning folk became a highlight topic for everyone living in the area. It became more widely understood and agreed upon that the general MO of these people was to defraud the desperate and elderly and Mm -hmm. ill, and that if nothing else, they should be perceived with healthy skepticism. A year after William's execution and Harrison's trial, the Matrimonial Causes Act of 1857 was decreed, which abolished ecclesiastical involvement in those seeking a divorce and Mm. turned it over to like a civil Mm-hmm. This is a civil matter instead of a church matter. Interesting. It also made it more affordable and accessible to people in situations like William and Harriet. Yeah. Despite its troubling sexist double standards, such as a man being able to divorce his wife if she was even so much as accused of infidelity, mm-hmm. he also would not have to prove it. No. Where a woman would only be able to seek divorce if there were a multitude of offenses. And even still, the women were placed under extreme scrutiny by all of those involved in drafting the divorce documents. Mm-hmm. And they would lose just about everything. Oh, man. Like all physical. They'd get a small payment from their ex-husband. Well, somehow that was a worse situation than it was It's not much better. It's just more affordable. Yeah. That's really all it is. Despite the coverage of the case at the time, the media storm that accompanied it, and all of the many strange and unhinged details, this story has widely faded into the masses of other poisonings from this time and place in history. In the end, justice was served for William, though it's obviously so unfortunate that he was able to build his own weird little kingdom and run it like a madman, Mm. that he was able to threaten his wife and obtain the very poison he would use to kill her so easily, and that Harrison got out of it with not even a slap on the wrist. It's truly baffling and heartbreaking. So for today's story, I read the book Murder, Magic, Madness by Owen Davies. And that is what I have for you today. Wow. I don't have a whole lot more to add. Wild. Uh, yes. My whole, all of my commentary came out in real time on this episode. And I'm like, just like kind of dumbfounded at the way that kind of wraps up. Really just unfortunate. It is also one of those like, yeah, it was 170 odd years ago, almost. Like, I, I get that there's like a broad um, chasm between how we view justice now and justice then and all that kind of stuff. But even still, man, that's like pretty messed up stuff. Just get away with Well, I do think that Harrison's trial did close any opportunity for you to be like, well, maybe he was just genuinely trying to help people. Yeah. Because like a lot of people who were practicing any type of witchcraft at the time were literally trying to like heal babies yeah. and help poor people. They were, they were like, yeah, mostly being, the rural ones. Yes. City ones were almost always defrauding gullible and yeah. desperate people. Yeah. And William was not just doing that. He was also like a sexual predator. He right. was a monster. Obviously. And he, I mean, Eliza could have just been the only woman who came forward. Mm. Cause as far as from what I read, like Jane's, uh, not Jane. Sarah Brown, Mm -hmm. who was forced to have his baby and then made to get rid of it. She didn't have a say in the matter at all. She relied on the prosecution to deliver her testimony. Like it was a, that was very traumatized. She was very young. Yeah. She was like little. And like that was functionally his daughter. Yeah. So there's like, even though it's not technically actually incest, there is an incestuous sort of nature to it. This dude was a straight up, monster yeah and he deserved a lot more than what he got for sure so wow yep 
Well, everybody, thanks for listening to the unusual, unsettling, and unsavory story today. Thank you so much for being a part of the doozy community. And we're just really excited to uh, have some more episodes coming out this next week and all the good stuff coming this summer. So, yeah. I just wanted, felt, felt like I wanted to say that. Yeah, I'm just feeling sentimental about, yeah. about our listeners. Yeah. I do Epis- love them. Patreon episode nine. Like, this is it's a special. It's the last single digit episode. I don't know. I'm just not, I'm probably rambling now. But <laughs> anyway, thanks so much, everybody. Make sure that you uh, like, comment, share uh, all the social media posts about this episode and anything else that we do. And otherwise, we will see you later on this week Thank for another you. doozy. Bye.